Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Robbie Struzinski, and thanks so much for joining us on episode number 21 of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. On this episode, we have the pleasure of welcoming Kara Scott, a longtime veteran in poker broadcasting, presenting, and hosting. Kara has also represented numerous brands as an ambassador. What's certain is that no matter what camera she's in front of, hats she's sporting, or microphone she holds, she's always a wonderful representative for our game. Today, we'll get to know her a little better. Kara, it's a pleasure to see you again and speak with you. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Thank you. It's really nice to be here. I'm I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> Good. Well, welcome to the Cards Chat Podcast. Um, the last time I saw you uh, was in February of 2020 uh, in Madrid oh, yeah. at the 888 Poker Live event, which seems like years ago. Um, yeah. The last time I interviewed you was a little bit before that. It was about a year and a half ago. You were just ending your maternity leave and you were planning to return to poker, to return to broadcasting. And you did yep. so for a few months. So that happened. And then, you know, the world kind of turned on its head. So yeah. before we get into anything pandemic related, tell us a little bit about sort of your return, your reemergence into poker, what you were doing for those few months after maternity leave until mm. things went haywire. Um. Yeah, it it was, it was an amazing few months, I'll be honest. It felt so good to be back on the road. Um, I was back on the road with 888 Poker, representing the brand, playing poker, and it was amazing. I think the first tournament that I did, because I actually spent uh, a full year of my daughter's life at home with her, plus some of the, because I couldn't travel a little bit right before she was born, so some of that as well. So I hadn't been doing anything, and mm -hmm. it was it was hard because I'm yeah. a person who's always done things. I've always worked. I've always, always worked. And I've always worked as hard as I could too. So that was weird. Uh, as soon as she had her first birthday, literally the next day, <laughs> I flew to Barcelona. <laughs> Yay! So yeah, so I, I was uh, playing in Barcelona. I think it was Barcelona um, at an eight at eight live event. And I actually won the ladies event there. And I was wow. like, this is awesome. <laughs> Poker is so good to me. Um, and it just was like from there, you know, I got to do uh, a few different events. And then um, I was in Madrid like, that you mentioned right. in February. And we were looking forward to this whole year. That was going to be amazing. Like I, uh, my husband and I had worked out, you know, he was going to have extra help. We were hiring help so that I could travel and I could go and do these things. And it was going to be easier for him. And and, you know, we just had this, this great plan. And then, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, certainly. It's like, uh, you know, you yeah. plan, of course, I'm going to win the tournament and then you just can't catch any cards. I, I understand yeah. what you mean. Um, well, for most of the world, things really started changing around March 2020. But for you, it was slightly earlier because you mm -hmm. live in Italy and, you know, outside of China, that was really the first place, you know, in the world that was really strongly hit. Um, yeah. Was it kind of surreal for you? having your life change sort of so starkly before it happened in the rest of the world? Yeah, it was. It was very strange. Um, 
I'll be honest, I wasn't watching the news from China very closely, right. uh, but my Who husband was. was. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, my husband was, he, okay. uh, Giovanni, his name is, and he was, and I mean, these are the kinds of things that he does keep an eye on. And he's in a lot of chat groups with very smart people and a lot of people who work in medicine as well and epidemiology and all kinds of things. And he was the one who didn't want to feel like he was being crazy, but mm. he said to me a couple of times, he was like, this is just something I'm, I think we need to keep an eye on. I think we need to, you know, watch out for. Um, our daughter has a uh, chronic pulmonary issues as well. Oh, so it was wow. something particularly to sure. you know keep an eye on. Um, so, and we'd just actually been in hospital with her. Might've been COVID actually, now that we Ooh. think of it, who knows? <laughs> Sorry, someone's at the door. I'm not going to get it. <laughs> it's okay. Okay. This is live. Um, well, it's not live, but yeah. Sorry. <laughs> All good. All good. It's apparently another package arriving. Um, that's how we live now. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So he was the one that was keeping an eye on it. And he was saying we should, you know, talk about this. And then we did a little bit. And then one day, one afternoon, uh, when our daughter, daughter was napping, we were just chatting back and forth. And we were like, should we just drive 10 hours down to the family farm? Because we just both feel a little weird. And there were no big warning signs or anything. We were like, you know what? Why not? We'll go and spend some of the winter on the family farm. We'll just spend a few weeks there, see what's happening. Right, so that was and, planned. Okay. Yeah. So we got in the car as soon as she woke up and we drove all the way down there. Um, and we found out on the way down that they were starting to do temperature checks, <laughs> leaving wow. the city. And we we're like, this is weird because this was not happening anywhere else in the world at the time. And even that just felt weird, like because there was no warning. It wasn't like this is a big problem. It was like, oh, they're stopping cars. <laughs> yeah. We have just gone through. I mean, we weren't trying to get out of a hot zone or anything. We didn't realize. So we ended up at the farm for seven months <laughs> instead of a couple of weeks. <laughs> and it was pretty wild. Um, yeah, because I mean, we didn't have proper Wi-Fi. It was a lot of things were quite difficult, but we were super lucky to have the family farm. Like mm -hmm. I'm never going to look that gift horse in the mouth. And it was great. Our kid could run around and be outside. And I just kept watching everyone, especially in the States going, Oh my gosh, how are you coping? And I was like, this is going to be you. Like you're wow. only a few weeks behind us. And I kept trying to tell people and it seemed alarmist. Right. And I did get called alarmist actually. Yeah. Um, and I was like, uh, I, I don't want to be that person, but you need to start preparing. And thankfully my family, are very prepared for this kind of thing. <laughs> we grew up with this sort of, you know, idea that this is probably going to happen. So they were completely ready for lockdown as soon as it happened. But wow. everyone else was like, this is ridiculous thing that's happening to you. And I was like, I right. know uh, this is a pandemic. <laughs> right. Well, because the hindsight, of course, is 2020. Again, you know, no, <laughs> not intended, <laughs> but genuinely not intended. But like, you know, when you said temperature checks, like, yeah, that's a standard part of our daily lexicon now, but that was a yeah. very strange, but that's abnormal. We have to remember that that is an abnormal thing. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like, so you had all these big plans and all of a mm -hmm. sudden you find yourself living on a farm for seven months. Like, how does, yeah. what, what did, you know, what's your day-to-day -day life like? Well, that was pretty strange too, because we were in the big house, the farmhouse that belongs to the family. So uh, my father-in-law, my brother-in-law, and then they had a staff there as well. And it's a massive farm. So they have a lot of farmers working there, obviously, mm -hmm. as well as people working in the house. And when March hit and it looked like there was going to be an actual lockdown and we realized that uh, we had a a higher risk profile because of our daughter. Sure. And it was really important she didn't get sick with a pulmonary disease. Of course. Um, 
also we were considered to be uh, alarmist even there. Mm. Like we were doing things and acting in ways that people were like, whoa, now you're being crazy. Um, <laughs> and we're like, well, actually, this is kind of a bigger deal than people want to accept. And sure. I think we accepted it before they did. So we ended up asking an uncle who had an apartment on the top floor of the house if we could move up there because he wasn't there. His whole family was in the city. And they said yes. And we did. And we did that for a few months. And we actually completely just a bubble of three, even away from the rest of the family, because wow. they they were doing things that we were like, like, understandably, you guys have other, you know, a girlfriend who has kids yeah. who's going out to see her friends. And so we just aren't comfortable with that level of risk because, oh, you know, yeah. So we did that as long as we could. And then it was May, I think. And we were like, we've got to relax because we're going to lose our minds. And it was going to be a birthday for my daughter. So we let it relax a little bit. And then it was this summer and everybody in Calabria was like, it's not a problem. The sun will take care of it. Like, oh, you people, you have no idea what you're talking about. Um, So we had to get closed again because people were in and out of the house and traveling and everybody was coming to visit. And they had like, they shot this massive commercial right there on the farmhouse grounds. I remember. (laughs) Seriously? Yeah. It was like an entire film crew for like uh, three days. Old McDonald, the movie. Right. Okay. Yeah. It was bizarre. (laughs) So we closed again. And then finally in September, we were able to come back to the city um, as we were starting to lose it a little bit. Uh, And so now we're back here. Wow. My goodness. And you're you're in uh, Padua, right? Yeah. Yeah. Padua. Padua. Huh. Yeah. So, um, well, again, as someone who's in Italy, I got to ask, how authentic are the canals at the Venetian? (laughs) You know what? The color is spot on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they do an amazing job of that. So they don't smell the same, but yeah. Right. Well, I guess you're, I imagine you must be happy to be back in your own home, you know, creature yeah. comforts, that sort of a thing. It's, it's better. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's also, I mean, it was expensive because we kind of had to set up another home after mm. we'd been uh, in the uncle's apartment, they were obviously going to come back for the summer. So we had to get out. And so we renovated uh, a, like an area of the farm to move into, but then we had to outfit it as a house. (laughs) So it was expensive too. Like it was a really expensive year in terms of that. Sure. And so coming back was really nice because we have all of our things here, all of her toys, clothes, like just everything is here. My stuff. Like we went from a two week suitcase in February to spending the entire summer in a place that is super duper hot. Like it's ridiculously hot there. Right. So coming home was nice. Being able to have our things was nice. Being able to have internet yeah. access was, was great because right? for sure. Cause I mean, I couldn't really speak to my parents very well. Yeah. It was quite difficult. Like having family contact, all of my people are, you know, overseas basically. Yeah. So having all that back was really nice. Um, but there is the problem in this place of it's a beautiful old house. I'm in the attic where my uh-huh. office is, but the pipes are terrible. So water, <laughs> sewer, gas, heating, the heating has gone out multiple times this winter. It's freezing cold. I when see uh, Mur- Murphy lives with you, right? So it's terrible. <laughs> we lost our hot water for like almost 10 days before Christmas and the heat at the same time. So we didn't uh. have heat or hot water. And then the power went out in the whole block for a day and a half or a day. I went out for a day and that was how we were staying warm was space heaters. So we're just like, right. 
what do you, what, I don't, I know what to do now. Right. And we just kind of have to keep rolling with it. Like we had all the gas turned off because we had two massive gas leaks. We had a fire department here at two in the morning. So all the gas in the buildings turned off, which means we don't have a stove and haven't for almost three months now. We've been using hot plates. Wow. So do you miss the farm? Now I do. I <laughs> actually do. I was so happy to be here. And I am so happy to be here, Sure, but I do actually miss the farm. And now, yeah, there's a travel ban and it wouldn't be sensible for us My to go. Goodness. So it's funny, like the grass is always greener somewhere, right? Yeah, seriously. Again, and that wasn't intended. even the worst bit of it. So, wow. Well, like we, we, we had, um, to, we had a biohazard in the kitchen at one point because we were, it was infested because we'd been away for so long. A pigeon had made its nest in the window in the kitchen, wow. but in a way that you couldn't see it because it was tucked around the corner. And so when the baby birds hatched and flew away and the nest was empty, the mites that infest pigeons came inside and infested me that is, personally because they were biting me. It was the most awful, revolting thing. So we had to have like biohazard people come because it was when we could see around the corner, we could see it was this big nest full of disgusting pigeon poop, which right. is really dangerous cleaned out and sanitized properly and then thankfully after the nest was removed 10 days later all the mites die and i was no longer infested so wow. but it was only me it was right. only me which is good because i'm glad it wasn't my kid but i was just like what wow what universe what right and, <laughs> it's and, been and a difficult again, year Robbie, we've been pointing to it it's just like and you're still smiling like, you know you're, it's behind oh. you but it's testament to you to your character i'm really not trying to you know be facetious or anything it's uh <laughs> Not an easy thing to smile through it and smile afterward. And, you know, memories that you don't, you know, you kind of want to repress. Oh, yeah. You don't want Facebook or Google's like, you know, let's uh, remember this day. No, I, I understand that. Man. Um, on, on more of a positive side, perhaps, so we'll see how you respond <laughs> to this question. Um, when we spoke to uh, Chris Moneymaker recently on episode number 15, uh, he talked about how much joy that he had mm. taken in the ability to spend so much time with his family uh, during yeah. the pandemic. To what degree have you been uh, enjoying the extra time that you've had with uh, Giovanni, with your daughter, Ella? Well, to be honest, we always have kind of been at home together anyways, except for like, I might travel for a week, mm -hmm. a few times a year and that's it. Mm -hmm. So we were pretty much always together anyways. Um, yeah, it's just now, you know, we just don't really have any extra help. So right. unfortunately, a lot of that falls on me, which is, mm, which kind of takes away from the joy of that. I'll be honest, like, yeah, yeah um, my husband herniated his back mm. in the spring very, very badly. And so that kind of removed his ability to do a lot of things. So um, like domestically. Yeah. Uh, so that's all on me. <laughs> so yeah. that's kind of a lot. Um, and that's been difficult, honestly. I would love to be able to kind of revel in the time, mm -hmm. but I am exhausted. Yeah. Quite well, frankly, I'm, I'm exhausted. Yeah. There's, so. there's no, there's no, uh, you know, bonus points anyone gets for whitewashing any of that stuff. Yeah. It's real. You know, we, we, you know, I like, I got three kids. I remember times like that myself when uh, yeah. either myself or my wife was out of commission. It, it by definition does put the load on uh, the other spouse's mm. shoulders. And, you know, we, we live in this kind of Instagrammy world where you know we call oh, everything's perfect it ain't <laughs> yeah it's and i'm guilty ain't. of that myself too because mm -hmm. i mean i i 
did one of the things I was able to do for myself and needed to be just for me was I put a lot more effort into doing, I was trying to do a self-portrait project for oh. 2020. And that was nice, especially on the farm because there's beautiful spots. So like once a week, I might be able to run out for a couple of hours and I just would take a ton of photos in as many locations as I could. And I was working on like the remote shutter and trying to figure out my all, all kinds of composition ideas and whatever. And that was really nice. But yeah, if you looked at my Instagram, You'd be like, wow, she's so having an amazing time. And I'm like, yeah, I'm infested. <laughs> wow. But okay, it looks nice. So right. yeah, I, I can hear what you're saying. Right. Well, one, one thing that's uh, sort of relatively new, I guess, on the professional front is uh, the really cool podcast, The Heart of mm. Poker, uh, which we'll talk about uh, a little bit later oh. uh, in this show. Um, it's a great show uh, and, uh, and uh, I, I personally enjoy it. Um, besides that, another thing you also did uh, on behalf of 888 Poke, you did these um, WSOP interviews with uh, those oh, who yeah. made the final table. Um, yeah. So, you know, between those two things and like you said, on Instagram and on Twitter, uh, great follow, by the way, Kara OTR, you got to follow her. <laughs> Thank you. It's good stuff. So you've been keeping yourself in the public eye with yeah. all of this stuff going on. You know, people are still aware. You're still, you know, part of the poker community, part of the oh. poker world. Um, many of us have been forced to pivot uh, in this yeah, very strange yeah. time. Um, how have you found yourself pivoting professionally without, you know, your regular gigs to do? <sighs> that was that was tough, actually, because uh, I also just didn't have the time. And mm -hmm. quite frankly, like the, the mental energy to be able to do a lot of the things that I would have liked to do. So, um, yeah. I I did some Instagram live interviews early on when we were in the lockdown upstairs in the on the farm and that was really nice and I tried to make sure that I was doing some interviews and whatnot but it quickly I just I would run out of time and energy just being kind of exhausted right. so I was really happy that I was able to do the podcast um I that was for me fantastic. Like it gave me a reason to reach out to people and, and then there'd always end up being a kind of a conversation or a chat before or after. And that was a really nice way of staying in touch with people. Um, it was tough because of the internet problem. So I was usually hotspotting off my phone or trying to like piggyback off the office in the farm, but that was kind of far away. And so I would literally be in one of the bathrooms because that was the closest room to the farm office. So I'd have the laptop set up on the toilet and I'd be trying to do, and thankfully it was an audio podcast. It wasn't the best sound quality. And I'd be sitting in this bathroom with my like, cause I'd brought my stuff with me and I was like, you know, trying to do this podcast. So pivoting was basically just trying to figure out how to create content. Like how on earth do I do it? And then, yeah, um, did a few videos for them when I came back, which was really nice. Mm -hmm. And I would just do kind of, yeah, like handheld or with the equipment that I bought for my self-portrait uh, right. project, just doing stuff on the stairs at the farm and like talking wow. about poker, talking about the latest update that they brought out and that kind of thing. Right. But yeah, unfortunately, it's a punny there stuff, wasn't time for anything else. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. But the dogs, there were the farm dogs would never let me do anything. So as soon as <laughs> I'd start filming, they'd like all run up the stairs and like uh, jump on me. It's just like, oh my God. Wow. It's funny. It was, like, funny. I, it was funny. It was it, funny. It, and it's funny to hear because, again, you know, like 
so often, you know, when you're a regular recreational consumer of poker content, you just sort of see what's there on the surface. And I right. hope that everyone, you know, this is, you know, by request, you guys here at Card Chat <laughs> wanted Kara on, and now you get to see the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, it's, I find it interesting. It's funny. It's, it's very <laughs> real. It's, you know, it, it, it's very relatable, you know, I, I, well, that's you know, good. people say like, also like, you know, I look, we're not in the bathroom, but like, you don't realize what the rest of this room looks like. It's yeah. This pretty. is a mess. I, I just realized what a mess this is. I'm sorry. <laughs> I wish my room could look that messy, Karen. Um, so, so we know, um, we know what's up with you now. Uh, it's important <laughs> in poker. We got to change gears. So let's turn back the clock. Yes, a let's do bit. it. Uh, a lot of our listeners, of course, know you from your work at the World Series of Poker, but our crack mm-hmm. research team, shout out to my man, Mike Patrick, he put forth this interesting nugget. You used to be involved okay. with the World Series of Backgammon. Yes, I did. So yeah, couple, I did actually. Right. So a couple of your first gigs were hosting Poker Night oh. Live and yes. Gammon Night Live. Tell us That's about right. that. That's interesting. Um, that was incredibly fun. I was, uh, I played poker as a kid, but never Texas Hold'em. So when mm. I kind of heard about, let's see, what was I doing? How did that even work? I started on backgammon. I just went for the job actually. And I'd been trying to get work in television when I lived in London. And I was working as a, a substitute teacher on the side right. and just really grinding, trying to get anything I could, trying to like kind of make it sure. and figure out how I was going to work in, in television and this was my last uh, audition. I told myself this, this backgammon thing. It was the last one I was going to do because you know what? I was broke. I was disheartened. And I was just like, I got to be sensible. And I just, I'm going to go and get a permanent teaching job again and just go back to teaching. Then right. I did this interview and I, in my mind, thought it had gone terribly because it didn't go as well as I'd wanted it to go. And apparently they loved me, which was awesome, but I thought it was terrible. So I, I remember leaving and going down the stairs. I was in, it was in Soho in, in London. And I went across the, the street to a bar and I got, had a glass of whiskey and I was so upset that my hand was shaking and I chipped a tooth and I was just oh. like, ah! And it was fine. It was only a small chip. Mm. Uh, and then I found out a couple of weeks later, I'd gotten the job. And it, and that was the job that changed everything for me because right. this Poker Night Live company saw the work that I did on the Backgammon show and asked me to come in. They wanted me to be the novice, the voice of the novice, asking all the questions of a novice, which was perfect. And that's where I started playing poker. Right. Um, and then I went from that to like, uh, I kind of hopped around to lots of different poker companies. But without that Backgammon job, never would have happened. I didn't even know there was a World Series. Is that still a thing, a World Series of backgammon? Yeah, I mean, not now, but and I'm not sure when the last one they ran was. I actually uh-huh. played in the World Series uh, doubles with Paul <laughs> McGreal. Oh! 10K buy-in, I think that was, like, madness. Obviously, I didn't make any decisions. He did everything, and I just rolled, but it was still fun because I was really new at the time, and he was my co-commentator on the, the World Series of Backgammon. So. That is fabulous. I don't know if you saw, I don't know, maybe you got a share screen because that's actually my next question because, ah. uh, you know, I, I'll just read it off just to prove. One of the people you worked with on those Backgammon shows was a man many poker uh, players may be familiar with, yeah. uh, Paul McGreal. Um, quack, quack. In his TV poker, yeah, Quack Quack, X-22, right, I remember <laughs> that. Um, in his TV poker appearances, he was quite the character. Do you have a good story to share, perhaps, about your behind-the-scenes <laughs> working with Paul? 
Yeah, Paul would be incredibly focused. He was so focused on whatever he was doing Mm. that everything else would kind of like fade away. Um, And I remember being in the booth with him. We were doing live commentary, watching a match that was happening in another room. And we had these, you know, cans on like the big... um, you know, headphones headphones with the little, yeah, the little thing, the microphone. And we had one side off so we could hear each other as Mm -hmm. well as hearing the, what was happening. And he just didn't notice. And his, as he was moving around, he was being very animated and everything. His were like slowly doing this, (laughs) like literally. (laughs) So I remember the director was like, I can't hear anything he's saying because his microphone is like all the way back here. (laughs) It was literally in the middle of his forehead at one point. And I was just like, um, Paul, I think you're going to have to, I mean, we, can we reset everyone? Right. He was just so focused, but yeah, he used to tell me some pretty interesting stories too. He told me the story of how he left, like, I forget how much it was, maybe 60 K in a bag in a taxi. He was like, well, that's what happens sometimes. So I was like, well, it's never happened to me, Paul. Right. <laughs> never. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot. He was a character. Those backgammon dollars or poker dollars, you think? I don't know, man. <laughs> he was such a shark at back yeah. and there was a lot of money in it. Yeah, yeah for sure. Well, uh, like I said, people have known you for, I mean, it's, it's got to be at least 15 years you've been in the poker yeah. industry. Um, from your perspective, you know, like, you know, you've, you've been since then and continuously, you know, you're still involved in poker today. What would you say, like, I guess, as far as everything that you've witnessed, what do you think has changed um, as far as the production of televised poker. I mean, you started out, I think mm-hmm. also you did Sky Poker and you had mm-hmm. EPT when you first came yep. to prominence. And, you know, things are a little bit different now or maybe perhaps on the back end, there's the same. What's your what's your perspective on that? Well, it was really interesting to go from European poker to American poker. That was much mm. bigger difference for me because um, I played a lot of the... The, the like the six uh six seater table shootout sure. style that were on tv all the time in england and we used yeah. to do matchroom sports was the company that filmed all of these and a lot of the people that worked there became friends of mine and i worked with them uh for a lot of like wpt things as well when i did the european wpt circuit and that was like the cards on the table on the glass so the right. camera was like looking up at it so there was no there nothing was chipped it was just literally you could see through and through the camera shot sometimes as well if you're leaning over like you could see right up people's noses right. and that was pretty funny and just the kind of going from that to starting to work for uh, Maury Eskandani mm-hmm. and poker uh, poker productions my first job with them was actually the world series of poker europe and just watching how different everything was, was incredible for me. You know, American uh, television, especially then before Black Friday, had a lot more money put into it, a lot more money than European poker and television did. So this, just the level of everything was incredible. And they taught me so much. And then I, I went on to work with them at High Stakes Poker as well which was such a thrill and doing American television is just bigger. So mm. the poker was bigger, honestly, yeah. And in terms of like back then versus now, is it sort of the same or has there been sort of um, a little bit perhaps of an evolution in maybe technology or style? Um, I'm guessing there's been a lot of evolution in terms of technology. My microphone looks the same. So I end of things, not so much, um, but yeah, it's kind of hard to know if the technology itself was changing, but mm. as my role was changing through it, 
it was, you know, I was just seeing more of it. Like when I went from being sideline reporter to also being the anchor at the break desk, that my role just kept changing so much that my view of it was constantly changing. And I really don't know if that was the poker television itself or because we were always trying to innovate. We were always trying, like even the break desk itself was trying to innovate and bring something new to it. Um, I think the first year we did it, it was uh, Olivier Bousquet and I on stools Uh just off the side to the side of the set. And now we have this massive, wonderful production with the, you know, the break desk. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. I think it has changed, but it just kind of continues to change through. And we always go back to the the basics of, you know, this is the game of cards and we want to know about the people, but mostly we want to watch the cards. So yeah. And when you say innovation, you know, because you've been involved for so long, you can have some creative license with what you do. I wonder, do you sort of really come up with things perhaps on your own or do you maybe take inspiration from other sorts of break desk and sideline sideline reporting Mm. of other sports or other sorts of live events? I'm lucky I get to work with some pretty amazing people. My, um, my producer director, when I'm working with ESPN and poker central as well is a guy named Dan Gotti and Dan is awesome. He's the best. Um, and he's, he's the voice in my head all the time. Like Mm -hmm. I've got him in my ear. So when we're doing live TV, he will feed me things that he thinks is relevant. He has a lot, uh, more of a, a a varied sports background than I do. I I worked in sports television before poker, but it was all fight sports and he's got a much wider look at it. So he's been able, he kind of gave me some different cadences and some different phraseology. And, you know, he's worked with me on that all the way through, but especially at the beginning, just so that it looked a bit more sports-like, I think is what he was kind of going for. Um, and I've always been really grateful, grateful to him for that. So well, one, of, one of poker broadcasting's unsung heroes is a great one. I've worked with him as well. Um, yeah. Well, the first time you appeared on camera, at least for, for poker lenses that I'm aware of, maybe it was before it, but the first time I remember was 2008 during the WSOP main event, not as a host, but as a player. Um, So we've got a two-part question here. How did it feel to be on camera as a player for the first time rather than a host? And number two, did you know Norman Chad before that run? Because according to Wikipedia, (laughs) Kara Scott Chad is still listed as one of your nicknames. Yeah, I am never, ever going to get rid of that nickname ever. Um, So I didn't know Norman before ever. I'd never met him, obviously. I wouldn't have even known where we'd meet. Uh-huh. Um, but he and Lon are friends now. I've actually stayed at Norman's house, oh. which is pretty funny. Um, and he drove me to the airport the next day. His wife is a very good friend of mine. She's been to visit me in Slovenia and Italy. So, and I know, yeah, her daughter. So Tony, we're actually quite right? close. Hmm? Yeah. Tony. 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 Wonderful. I love Tony. She's a really, really dear friend of mine. And he introduced us specifically knowing that we would get on really well. And he was totally right. Um, and Lon is a great friend of mine as well. We speak a lot, like actually, you know, every week we're, we're messaging back and forth and, and he means a lot to me as well. He came out to visit my baby when she was born and everything mm-hmm. all the way to Slovenia. Um, so yeah, See, I'm going to have forgotten your question now. Oh yeah. The first time on TV for yeah. poker, it wasn't actually, cause I did uh, okay. British poker TV first. I made the final table of the world women's oh. open. Okay. Um, 
yeah. So that was, that was really fun, but it was, again, it was a very different setup. It was a, a shootout style, single table cards on the table, glass, the whole thing. And so being at the world series of poker was terrifying. I was way over my head. I hadn't been playing properly for that long. And I was just having an amazing time. Like I had the best time. And every day I'd bag chips and I was just like, this is awesome. Uh, And being on the feature table was terrifying because I really did have a chip on my shoulder and still do a little bit Mm -hmm. about not being as good as I'd want to be. I hadn't Mm -hmm. had enough time to put the work into my game and I was still figuring things out and I was worried about looking silly. And, um, but mostly I was just exhausted because I'd never played poker for five days in a row, 12 plus hours a day like that. Yeah. It was intense. Yeah. Sure. Well, I mean, obviously you've got tons more table experience now. And just to make you feel completely relaxed, you're speaking to someone who has yet to co- record his own first hand in mob results. So it's all good. I just, I I'm a cash man. game player. That's why. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> it's what I always assume when I don't see the hand in mob. There so, you yeah. go. So uh, for those who don't know, of course, you know, Kara, you know, you look at her hand in mob. She's got over $660,000 in career tournament winnings. Certainly no slouch. Um, your biggest score was back in 2009 at the Irish Open for $413,000. Yeah. Uh, you were the runner up out of 700 players. Yeah. Take us through that experience. That was pretty incredible. I It was the last bit I think I had in a sponsorship deal I've been trying to use up. And I was worried that the money would actually not get used and I've been pushing. Huh. And they said, okay, fine. You can go and play the Irish Open. And my partner at the time was playing it. He'd, he'd been invited to go as like a special guest. So um, he had a room where I could stay and that was great. So I was playing. I had a great time. And then I think early on, early-ish on, I uh, was barely near the bubble. And I made a ridiculous move that was just like a multi-street bluff that went almost worked because he did pause before he called me. Uh And I got left with, I think, two and a half big blinds. Um, Yeah. yeah. And we weren't even in the money yet. I don't think it was just, it was, it was a little, I was sheepish as well. Cause it was, it was a big bluff. There was like complete air, um, which you're not supposed to do. Right. So <laughs> I somehow managed to get back from two and a half big blinds all the way up to the final table. I made it through it, which was televised and it was live as well. The next day I was at the airport um, in Dublin trying to fly home and people had seen it and they oh, were like, Oh my so God, cool. you're that girl who did ah. that thing. And I was like, Oh yeah, I was. <laughs> cause it was incredible. And then, yeah, the, the final table was a lot of fun. Um, Will Kasuf, I was trying to think of his name, was there as well. That's where I first met Will Kasuf. Yeah. Um, and a few other people as well, obviously. And yeah, it was good fun. And I didn't deserve to win. I would have loved to have won. I really would have. It was double the amount that I won for yeah. the first prize. So those are it would have been 2009 structures were very different. Yeah. And and also, like you said, for like the fact that you were recognized the next day at the airport, I don't know that that would necessarily happen now. Right. You know, it's a very different time, 2009. I mean, you mentioned something about sponsorship money. Maybe that kind of, I'm not sure, uh, dovetails into this question. You said that it's not like you were a professional player or, you know, making your bread and butter, you know, playing poker. I noticed that you cashed in the main event at the WSOP in both 2008 and 2009. And I'm kind of, you know, asking, you know, for for most people playing in the main event, a 10K is a bucket list event. You know, did you satellite in? Was that sponsored? Uh How did that work? Well, it's actually a bit of a story. Um, 
So the first year I was sponsored, it was part of a, a the income of a deal when I was working for the EPT. Um, oh. I would get straight income, but then there was a portion that would go to buy-ins and that was one of them. So cool. I worked for it, uh-huh. uh, but yeah, that it was I was bought in. The second year, I was in negotiations with them about my contract moving forward and it wasn't going very well. It was actually an extremely frustrating process. Mm-hmm. And um, it, they just kind of left me hanging up until the main event was about to start. I know. And I was like, you guys were supposed to, that was supposed to be my buy-in and this is feeling a little, and I decided I'd won so much the year before. And I was not the smartest person with my money at the time either. I was just like, well, I've got lots of money now. I grew up without a lot of money. So I was just like, (laughs) um, so I sent a message and said, look, we're going to pause it and I'm just going to play on my own, but I'm not going to wear a patch which I wow. did. And somehow I managed to thankfully Ooh. get as far almost as I did the year yeah. before. Um, like in terms of time, at least I made it to like dinner break on day five, which was amazing. I made the money and I was really happy. And then I could go back and talk to them about contracts, which didn't end up working out. Right. But yeah, the, then the following year I played it for the third time and I was sponsored and I didn't cash and uh-huh. that was fine. Okay. And then I started working there. So I was like, Oh, okay. And now I can't play it anymore, but I'm glad right. I had the three years I did. Uh-huh. Did it, yeah. At any point in time, did you consider going pro or like making your way in the industry as a player or was it always no. about, you know, the professional side of things? No. Yeah. I never thought that I had what it took to go pro. Um, it takes a lot of work and I could see that. I mean, my job was talking to poker players constantly, being at poker events, seeing who was doing really well, who was getting lucky and who was doing terribly kind of, and being able to see that extremely hard work was behind most of the success. And I could see that. And I didn't have the time with my broadcasting career to really do that. And I loved my broadcasting career. So I wasn't going to give that up to be pro, but I mean, when I had left one company, I remember there was this, all these news, like poker news articles, not just poker news, but like different news agencies in poker came out with saying, Kara's going pro, Kara's going pro. She's left the broadcasting. And I was like, that is just not true. I have (laughs) never tried to go pro. I have too much respect for the pros. Wow. That's a great answer. I mean, I do see uh, people who aren't necessarily watching. If they're only listening, you can't see. But over your left shoulder, Kara, I see two poker, your left shoulder, the other left, uh, (laughs) poker (laughs) poker chip um, uh, sets over there, right? Yeah, yeah. How often do you play? Is that like a home game type of setup type thing? Yeah, unfortunately, because we moved uh, back to Italy kind of right before the pandemic, Mm -hmm. I didn't really have a chance to do that. And I don't know that many people here, but sure. Yeah, it was something that I used to play, especially when I lived in England. I lived in Brighton, Mm -hmm. which I loved and considered my hometown for a really long time. And we used to play a home game just it was like like a 10 pound rebuy or whatever, Uh just something for fun. And it would. It was really just about socializing for me, sure. that that part of it. Yeah. And I love having chips around. So, right. Well, that's good. You always like it's always tournaments with you or do you like also to mix it up with some cash games? Yeah, I'll play some cash games, but I've never played a ton of it. Um, there was one or two summers where I was at the World Series where I was kind of grinding pretty low stakes cash in different casinos for the poker room rate because mm-hmm. that makes a big difference. So, right, of course. And that was nice. And it was a nice way to like make a little extra money as well, especially during the World Series where there would be a lot of tourists around. Right. But yep. 
I knew the difference. Thankfully, I had no illusions about my level of skill. And I knew the difference between playing against grinders the rest of the year versus, you know, playing in games where I could see there were a lot of tourists. So, sure. Yeah. Well, t- table selection is always so important. Game Huge. selection. Yeah, and and yeah. I, I kind of delude myself. I get to go to Las Vegas usually once, maybe twice a year. And it's yeah. always around that World Series of Poker time. So to me, that's quote unquote what Vegas games represent. But I know as well, it ain't like that in February. It's not right. (laughs) Yeah. The gravy train doesn't run all year round. You just got to, it's very seasonal. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, um, I promised that we would talk about your new podcast, The Heart of Poker. Um, Part of the very unique format is you ask all of your guests a set of questions designed by psychologists. Can you remind me the name of the, uh, the individual? Oh my gosh. I don't even remember now. I okay. apologize. It was but no, Dr. It's something. been too long. Okay. Yeah, it was Dr. Something. Okay. There were actually a lot of them. There is a whole list of names. So. Okay, cool. So, um, and obviously, you know, the, the types of questions that you ask lead to some really cool and interesting personal answers. Um, at the time of this recording, you've released 15 episodes and uh, a couple of my favorites have been with uh, Andrew Nimi and Brad Owen, a couple of wonderful Yay. guys and you know, I, I've spoken to both of them, but then mm. you ask these questions in such a way that you really dig deep. It's, it's fascinating what you can get out of cool. an individual. Um, how did you get the idea and the inspiration to do this type of a format mm. of podcast? Um, well, 8 at 8 told me, I guess it was last year, the end of the year before, um, that they wanted me to start doing a podcast. And I was like, oh, man. like everything is being done already Mm. so well. And I I don't want to do a strategy podcast. I don't want it to be straight interviews. People are already doing this. It can't be like the current events unless there's a really interesting spin on it. I just, I don't know. Mm. And thankfully, uh, 8 at 8, we're working with Matt Schaul, from um, Canadian. Yeah. So if people might not know, cause he's a behind the camera kind of guy, but he's responsible for a lot of really great content in poker and he's Canadian. He's been a friend of mine for a really long time as well. We've worked together lots and yeah. So working with him was great. And we just started chatting online and I said, okay, so if we're going to do this podcast and his company was going to edit it, um, can we just kind of throw ideas back and forth? And he was great for that. And I needed a podcast where, Um, I wasn't going to have to put in 10 hours of research for every hour of audio that we put out. Like, I just couldn't do that. It was physically not going to be possible for me because of my uh, commitments at home. So I just kind of came upon this idea. It was an article I'd read in the New York Times a while ago about these 36 questions that lead to love. So they asked complete strangers these questions of each other. And the theory was that they would fall in love because of the enhanced intimacy of asking these questions. Right. And I, I only really care about the poker players in terms of their person. Like, mm-hmm. I, like it's interesting with their poker careers and the whole thing, but other people are out there doing those podcasts better than me. Hello. Thank you very much. <laughs> you know, you included. So I don't want to be stepping into like a saturated market where it's already being done well. So I wanted to have this. And if I was asking the same questions or a variety of the same questions, because there's 36, I'm definitely not getting all 36 in 45 right. minutes. Um, then that kind of allows me to not have to do as much research into the players. And I can just kind of rely on their life stories and pulling out pieces of that. So, right. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. It's certainly very unique. And like every podcast, you know, it has to be different in some way, shape right. or form. And this is certainly exceedingly unique. And, uh, you know, everyone who's listening or watching after you listen to this episode, after you finished all 21 that we've done so far, then 
go ahead and look at Kara's. Oh. They're really good. It's good. And not to, again, you know, I didn't just uh, not not just promoting it. I am also Thanks. a listener. It's good stuff. Yay. Um, and uh, anyone who has listened to those episodes will understand the next question that I have mm. for you, Kara. What special skill do you possess that would make you a valuable member of a group mm. in a zombie apocalypse? <laughs> I have spent an enormous amount of time thinking about this. Um, I was obsessed with the whole, well, I've always been a little bit obsessed with the whole idea of apocalypse and that genre of literature. Even as a kid, I read way too much of it. And then when zombies kind of came into fashion, all of the TV shows used to have nightmares about zombies a lot. I have thought about these things. I am an incredibly good um, problem solver. I am incredibly tenacious, but I am really good at looking at a range of information Ooh. and distilling it down to what needs to be done and then doing it. And that's something I've always been really good at. I, I have a terrible memory. Uh, I actually have like a post-viral syndrome myself from about 20 years ago, unfortunately, which ruined my memory. So, which is wow. why I can't remember that offhand, the name of the the man who and the doctor who had the study that my podcast is based on. I have all of these in notes that I okay. refer to, sure. but I literally can't remember what I watched on television last week. Like it's pretty bad, wow. but it's fine. So I would be able to kind of make my way through a zombie apocalypse by dealing moment, figuring out the best possible solution. I think I'm pretty good. At, and also, I mean, I'm pretty good in a fight, so <laughs> I don't well, I don't want to brag, but I do. I'm pretty good in a fight. <laughs> it's the kind of thing that works well uh, in escape rooms as well as in poker rooms, I must say. Yeah. It's an important one. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, before we get into our community questions portion of the show, I just want to end up with a couple more. One about your personal life and one about your outlook on the poker industry. Okay. So you're originally from small town northern Alberta. Where exactly, first of all? Um, well, it's an area called the Peace Country, which is, sounds really beautiful. And it is beautiful country. The The main river that runs through it is the Peace River. Mm -hmm. So, But it's a town of like 500 people. Wow. So, That's yeah, tiny, like, for sure. It's a farming community. I mean, obviously didn't live in the town. We lived outside of it in like our own kind of homestead. So. Okay. And since then, you've lived in London, in California, in Slovenia, and now Italy. That's a mm -hmm. lot of amazing places. Do you yeah. ever miss the small town life of Peaceville, Canada? <laughs> um, uh, I mean, I miss Canada. I really, really miss my family right now. Mm. I haven't seen them in a couple of years, yeah. uh, mostly oh, because of the pandemic, but also ha having a small child, I wasn't able to travel. So I haven't right. seen them since they came and visited me when she was born mm. and I miss them. So I miss Canada and I miss feeling Canadian and I miss feeling a sense of kinship with the ground that I walk on, you know? Ooh, my, I love that phrase. That's beautiful. Yeah, it's like my heritage, my my language as well. My Italian's not fluent. Mm -hmm. um, my, yeah, like where I grew up, the, all of that. I do miss that. Small town life, not as much, I'll be honest. Like the town I grew up in was kind of a hellscape. So. Oh, <laughs> Appropriately named Peaceville. Okay. Or Peace, yeah. or Peace, Peace River. Right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Goodness. Yeah. Wow. I grew up outside of Peace River and okay. not because Peace River was like the city and it had 6,000 people. Like it was the city. So okay. uh, yeah, right. we didn't grow up there, but yeah, the town I grew up wow. in was a bit of a hellscape. So I don't, wow. I don't miss it at all. Totally fair. 
Okay, so on the on the industry side of things, then um, <laughs> you've been with eight 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 Poker since two thousand sixteen. Um, over the last while in our industry, there's been a good amount of incomings and departures, shall we, yeah. shall we say, on mm. the ambassador front at numerous online poker companies like PokerStars, Party Poker, mm-hmm. GG. What are your thoughts on the current role of, uh, of a poker ambassador in 2021? Huh. Well, I think I think a lot of it is the same as it's always been in that uh, an ambassador is basically a PR and marketing role. Mm-hmm. You are representing the company and the brand. You're a brand ambassador. So it's our job to reflect well on the brand that we work for, but also to kind of explain it to people to, you know, when they're when the new A to date poker software came out, like that was a big thing this year last year for us um, in the last few months that it came out. And so it's important for us to be making sure people have the information that they need, doing it in a way that's uh, understandable, but recognizable and yeah, reflecting well on the brand. And I think that 888, I mean, the team is is almost unchanged. Um, yeah. We had a, Daria was, uh, who, who lives in Russia, she was an ambassador as well. And just because of th- the way things went, had to unfortunately leave and, but, you know, we all kind of wished her well and we're sad to see her go. Right. But our team is very similar to what it was a year ago. Mm-hmm. It's almost exactly the same. And it's quite small. Um, and I think there's a lot of value in that uh, because, I don't know, 888 really seems to have been investing in their ambassadors, kind of giving us roles in PR and marketing that are interesting. We're doing videos, even though we're all kind of stuck at home. You know, we've right. got the the company that's saying, okay, we're going to send you guys lights and we're going to send you the right kind of equipment and we're going to record stuff and we're going to fit it together. And it's going to look a little silly because we're all at home, but everybody knows that that's just the way this year is. Right. So yeah, I have a lot of respect for the way they've um, structured our team. Well, that's good. And I, I can get yeah. a testament. I've seen it myself. I was at that 88, no, I guess sort of coming full circle to the beginning yeah. of my questions. I've seen it in 888 Live uh, you know, yeah. Madrid. It really is a team. It's not just, mm-hmm. you know, eight individuals yeah. who are there. There really is that team spirit. Yeah. And you all know we each like other. each other. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's good. It's we really, really cool. do like each other. Like we go out and do stuff. We like each other. So it's good. Good stuff. Well, yeah. in uh, the uh, final segment of our show, we turn to the Cards Chat community. We turn to yeah. you guys to see what questions you wanted to ask our guests. And uh, our first question, uh, wait, wait, we got a lot of them. We'll go through as many cool. as we can. Okay. Uh, I know we'll I'm through. verbose. I'm sorry. No, I love talking about it. Like, if, I didn't, if I wasn't <laughs> looking at the clock, I wouldn't realize, oh my God, how has it possibly been this day? I, I'm enjoying it. Um, so our first question is from Shells. Thank you very much, Shells, for sending this one in. Um, okay. Well, one second. I got to see your reaction. The bunny suit. Oh prop, yeah, bunny suit prop bet. It was fun and memorable, even yeah. though you lost the bet. You seemed to make the most of uh, most of it, and you made the best of it. Um, how likely are you to agree to another fun prop bet with another poker personality again, or have you already done so and we're not aware of it yet? Um, I don't think I really have. I'm terrible at betting. I always lose. I always lose. I just kind of learned early on, just stop betting when it's funny and there's like a funny outcome possible, then I'm probably a lot more likely to do it, but I just always lose. It's so bad. Um, since, uh, most of us are sidelined from any live poker action, have you been getting your poker fix online at all over the past few months? 
I've played a little bit here in Italy on the 888.it, but very little because I just, I don't, uh, it's hard. I don't have a lot of like, well, I don't have childcare. So that makes it kind of tough. And then I'm up really early in the morning because of that, which means I can't stay up late playing after she's asleep. So I'm kind of desperate for some, but I have played some like really like the really fast ones and tried to figure out how long I have before she wakes up when she was still napping. (laughs) When you say it just, it brings me back to when my kids were really, really little. I remember that. I was like, that's when I used to be playing online as well. You know, I, I played online maybe three or four years and I just remember also like, oh, I love it. And I love playing these tournaments, but there's no way you can play a tournament when you have a child under the age of three years old, it's just, it's not possible. You can't. So I got I was playing blast. Games, like, you know, yeah. 20 hands, 30 hands. Yeah. And just, uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. I was doing blast same, games just for like the feeling of having cards in front of me virtually. Sure. Well, the good thing is the game ain't going anywhere. It'll be yeah. there when you're ready to return. I can't wait. Last uh, question from Shells is, do you think your poker playing style has changed mm. since you've become a parent? Oh, well, I'm worse because I don't play enough. <laughs> Man, you need to play to be good at poker. You have yeah. to play. And yes. I just don't get a chance to play. So no, I'm I, like, I suck. Yeah, I do think that's, I mean, I kind of suck before because I wasn't playing enough and now I really suck. Um, but it's funny you say that, uh, that question because <clears throat> I was talking to my husband about this and there is like a, a physiological change that happens in men. Oh, sorry. In men when they have their kids as well. Yeah. Um, you lose testosterone for a while when you have a newborn because that's part of the bonding process. You married as a man. I mean, I <laughs> well, you definitely take a dip when yes. you have a baby. <laughs> and they've done all these studies like checking. It's part of the bonding process, but it does make it really hard to play poker. He was like making a joke of it. He was like, yeah, when she was first born, I was like, why are these people all three betting and four betting me? And I mean, he's Italian. So (laughs) he was known for being like wildly aggressive at the poker Uh table. And all of a sudden he was like, what's going on? So yeah, uh, becoming a parent definitely changes things for some people. Nice. Uh, Next questions here are from Matt Burns, 88. Thank you so much, Matt, for sending these in. Uh, Matt says, I remember you from hosting Sky Poker. What is your best memory of the show? And do you stay in contact with the other hosts like Richard Orford, TK and Norman Pace? You know what? I was just looking at photos of Norman Pace and his wife, Beverly, not that long ago. I used to go to a home game at their place. Uh, Norman is a comedic legend in England. A lot of people from the States or from other places might not know that, but he is an absolute legend. Mm -hmm. Um, But I haven't spoken to him in ages. I do every once in a while talk to the TK online. Like we'll, we'll message, we'll talk about something on on Twitter or whenever I would get a chance to see him uh, at the world series, he'd always come up and say hi. And it was always so nice to talk to him, but not enough. And I haven't talked to Richard Orford in so long. I can't even remember the last times. Cool. TK, for those who don't know, it's Tony Kendall is a great guy. Uh, If you don't go to England, he is at the World Series. I think he's always the first one in or last one out in the media room. (laughs) Definitely hardcore. He's a good guy. Yeah. Um, Also from Mr. Burns here, from Matt Burns, how different, this is an interesting one. They're all interesting. Uh, How different do you think being a professional poker player is for new moms compared to new dads? Oh, um, well, I think that there's a lot of physiological reasons that it's very different. It depends on, I mean, uh, physically having a baby, like going through the process of, of pregnancy and then delivery, 
we don't really put a, enough emphasis on what that actually does to a person. Like it, it, it completely changed you. Like your organs are all in different places. It takes mm-hmm. a lot longer than a couple of days to bounce back from that. Yeah. It can take months for people. For some people, it takes years to like get wow. back to a place where you feel physically like yourself. And that obviously plays into sitting at a table and playing poker too. Um, you know, and then if you're, if you're like, breastfeeding or whatever, that's all going to be different. You can't sit at the table for very long. You're not going to be able to go away very long. It can be a lot easier, I think, for the non-primary parent, which tends to be the father, to um, go and play poker to blow off steam than it can be for the mom, unfortunately. And and that carries through if you look at it societally, if you look at a lot of the research out there about who does more domestic chores in sure. households where both parents work as well, it does tend to fall a lot more heavily on the, the woman in terms of childcare, in terms of cleaning up and domestic stuff and house management. And that takes away from your free time. So yeah. you have less free time. It's harder to get away for a weekend. If you're going to go play poker at a tournament or something like it definitely impacts that. Yeah. Good answer. And I like that you said tends to, cause it's not everyone. I do plenty. No, of not everyone. House, right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyone who's visited my house, they know that I'm, I, I, I do a lot of stuff. I kill bugs. Good. I take out the garbage. Good. I do a lot of dishes. Um, okay. <laughs> our next questions are from uh, Antonis32123. Thank you, Antonis. Also, you've submitted some questions in the past, so thank you. Um, Kara, can you share with us your top three highlights from hosting the Heart of Poker podcast? Um, I'd say one of my highlights was interviewing Mori Eskandani. That one's not come out yet, so Ooh, uh, that was actually, scoop. yeah. Yeah, that one was just last week and I adore Maury. Uh, He is, you know, kind of a visionary, but incredibly humble. He's the man responsible, the producer for a lot of our poker, you know, high stakes poker, World Series, Poker After Dark, all of those things. Um, And yeah, just talking to him, he was incredibly open with me. And Mm. we talked about, we talked about him losing his father Mm. um, when he was, he had only been in the States for a couple of years and he was basically, you know, here by himself and he couldn't go back to Iran where he was from and what that was like uh, for him. And just, he told me about a moment of hope that kind of turned his life around after he'd lost his father and at a time when he really needed it. And for me, it was just really powerful. And it kind of reminded me of moments of hope that we all need this year, you know, whether we've lost someone, a lot of people have lost people this year. Um, or we've just kind of lost jobs or we've lost ourselves a little bit, you know, like globally, I think people are working through a lot of mental health issues because of the effects of the pandemic. And so hearing him talk about this moment of clarity and moment of hope for Mm. me, I was really glad that it made it onto the podcast and I'll be glad when it gets out there because I think it's a a really powerful moment. Uh, So that's definitely one of them. Wow. Yeah. He's great. He's so great. Um, what else? Gosh, it's it's really hard to say. I've managed to talk to some really interesting people. I loved talking to David Williams. It was one of my first ones and just, he's amazing. And I worked with him uh, uh, at ESPN and just the whole conversation, he's so open. And he talked about the scandal that happened in Magic the Gathering, the oh. card game that he'd played before poker. 
um, and just his viewpoint on that. And it, that was, I didn't expect him to bring that up. That was really interesting. Wow. Um, and third, gosh, this is hard for someone with like good ones already. Viral <laughs> memory issues. Thank you. Uh, I might stop it too. Cause that's, yeah, those are two good ones. Let's take that. That's fine. Let's go with those. And I can definitely after this, listen to the Mori Escondani one. I can't wait to listen yeah. to that. Amazing. Um, just a few more here. Um, okay, this is also from Antonis32123. Oh, this is, I like this. What is the craziest wish that you have that you hope comes true for you in the next five years? Wow. The craziest wish that I could think of that I would hope would come true for me in the next five years. That the heater doesn't break. <laughs> ah, yeah. Honestly, that is kind of it. You know, I want so badly to find somewhere that feels like home. Mm. I really crave that. I've moved around so much in my life right. um, and countries and houses. And I've had something like 40 different homes in my life. Wow. Yeah. It's a lot. And I feel a little adrift. I'll be honest. I want to find something that feels like home, but that feels like mine. Mm. So I have my own space. Like I have a quiet space for myself to kind of, you know, live my life. And it's not an easy thing to do with a toddler, but I want to, that's my kind of plan for next year, live my life the way that makes me happy and fulfilled and a better person. So I, I really want that. I want to find a home. That is beautiful. And then hopefully somewhere where you don't have to record the podcast in the bathroom. Yeah. So <laughs> no more toilet seats, please. Sounds Although, like I, a plan. Yeah. Uh, I, one second. I actually have to oh, pick sure. something up off the floor. And I don't oh, want sure. to just disappear. No problem. My computer's about to go away. So I need to plug this back in. There yep. we go. It sounds like an airplane taking off if I leave it plugged in. So I can't do that. There we go. There we go. Okay. okay, good. So we've got two more question askers left to go through here from okay. Crystals. Um, who was your inspiration getting into poker? Um, I worked with someone named Nick Walthall on that Poker Night Live show that I did. I know him. And he he's became, a commentator, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, he's a commentator. We, um, he was the commentator, and I was the host of the show. And I remember when I first met him at the meeting they brought me in because it was there were like three or four hosts and three or four commentators or five or six commentators that would kind of rotate through because we were on every night. It was a show that was on every single night through the middle of the night, looking at online poker and commentating mm -hmm. through yep. it kind of a half an hour later. So Nick had already seen the um, fight sports stuff that I had done on television. So he knew my work. We became friends immediately. And we used to like work it out so that all of our shifts would be together. And people just get really <laughs> mad at us. <laughs> so we would always be like, we'd go out for have dinner before and you know, have a little drink. And yeah. And he was just, he was also my poker coach. So he was there for the world series. The first awesome. year I went really deep. Yeah. He was on the rail the entire time for five days, like a proud wow. parent, but terrified because everything I did was just like, I'm having so much fun. <laughs> and he's like, Oh, calm down. <laughs> You're going to throw it all away. So yeah. Good stuff. Um, what is your favorite place to travel for poker? Um, I used to absolutely love going to Monte Carlo because I mean, it's swanky, mm -hmm. even the, like the, the sidewalks are made of marble, which is super slippery when it rains, by the way, it's uh -huh. terrible. Like it's a lawsuit <laughs> waiting to happen, but I used to just love that. It was like right at the beginning of my poker career. And I used to do that for backgammon as well. We would go there. Wow. So 
I just loved that. But now definitely Vegas. I miss Vegas. I miss it so much. I miss those beautiful hotel room beds oh. <laughs> and the room service. You're and giving all my me friends. FOMO. I miss it too. Oh, I really want to go back. <laughs> I think I think a lot of our listeners do, unless they already live there. But yeah, definitely yeah. Vegas is calling. I, I miss it as well. Yeah. Um, last couple questions here. And from our last questioner, Acid Burn FX. Thank you so much. Don't you love these great names? Great. Yeah. That's wonderful awesome. names. Um, two questions here and then we'll wrap it up. The one thing, Kara, you would rid the earth of. Oof, what would I rid the earth of? I mean, it's so kind of cliche to say it, but like inequality of like all the different kinds. Like if we could like get rid of inequality, income inequality, racial inequality, sex inequality, like the whole world would be different. I don't even know what it would look like to be honest, but that would be an amazing, amazing thing. I don't want to say like ants or something because that just ruins the ecosystem. You can't do that. So yeah, we would have accepted Brussels sprouts, by the way. Oh, they're awesome. (laughs) Those are amazing. Maybe for if if you're from Brussels, perhaps. Um, (laughs) And the last question we've got here is what would you like to be remembered for? Oh, Huh. That's an interesting one. I would like to be remembered. Hmm. Well, for being a, like a genuine and kind person, I, I try to make sure that I'm um, supportive of other people in the industry who are kind of coming up after me. I, I, I want to make sure that that's kind of a person that I am. Um, I think kindness is really important. I think niceness is overrated. I do, hmm. but I think kindness is very important. So honesty, well, yeah, cause you can't really be, be honest and be super, super nice. Cause mm-hmm. then you're more worried about people's feelings than you are about truth. So yeah, I, I mean, honesty and kindness, I think would be the two things that I hope would kind of come out of my life, but who knows, man? I don't know. Well, I, I Any costume. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be the, it's going to be Kara Scott Chad in a bunny costume. Everybody knows that. So I can say whatever I want. doesn't matter. Well, I love it. And I know that I can, at least from my perspective, vouch from knowing you for a few years, that that is certainly the truth. Um, and thanks to everyone who has sent questions in uh, for mm-hmm. Kara. I just got to remind everyone who's listening or who's watching uh, to all of our Cards Chat community. We'd love to see you submit your questions for our future podcast guests. There is a dedicated thread for it in the forums. And please be sure to give us a good review on iTunes and spread the word via your social media channels if you like the show. If you didn't like the show, then just listen again. And I'm sure you're going to like it. Um, <laughs> Kara, before we let you go, anything else you'd like to tell our listeners? Oh, just, you know, keep your heads up. It's not the best of years out there. Everyone's dealing with stuff. And don't feel weird if you're, you know, struggling with it because that's entirely normal. And it's not always going to be like this. So, yeah, we're all going to be back playing poker again. Not that far away from now and that's something to look forward to so and thank you also for requesting that i come on because i think your community is awesome and i love interacting with it so yeah that's awesome thank you awesome amen well thank you kara appreciate it and thank you all for tuning in once again to another episode of cards chat i'm robbie straczynski you can follow me on twitter at card player life i wish you all a wonderful day Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community.